Praise the Lord and good evening to everybody out there. It is another opportunity for us to have online Bible study, and I'm excited about being here with you all that are out there online and those people that are here in the sanctuary. It's good to see you all this evening. Praise the Lord. And as I've said before, if anybody's interested in coming out, we're out here. So but you just need to let us know you're coming out. Um, praise the Lord. All right. All right. Let's see if we can get started here tonight. We're going to pray, and then we're going to see if we can get started uh, with our message. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the opportunity again to come into your house. We thank you for the word of God. We ask tonight that you would continue to lead us and guide us. We thank you for our church. I thank you for everybody that's a part of what we're doing. I thank you for all the media people that are here tonight and everybody that's online that makes all this go um, as it should. Father, we just ask that tonight would be a blessing to the people that are online, those that are in the sanctuary, and that we might fulfill your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, praise the Lord. We are going to go back. We've been in the book of Philippians, uh, and we have been doing um, this, our study in Philippians, and we have basically been kind of walking our way through uh, the book of Philippians. We are now at chapter 3, and we're going to be talking tonight. We're probably going to go verses 1 through, I think I had said 15 or 16, somewhere like that. And we're going to be dealing with basically what amounts to examples of commitment. And we'll see what we really call Paul's rejection of the world for Christ. So we'll see then here where we see now in the book of Philippians where Paul has moved us to the place. Last week, if you remember, we had uh, the discussion where we talked about uh, Epiphanius, we talked about Timothy, and we talked about these people that had helped Paul and assisted him in such a way that he was basically bragging on them, and we used them as what we called examples of good conduct. You know, what, what believers who are a part of the local assembly in a church ought to be doing in order to bring that church uh, and keep that church on the move. Um, and so we talked about Timothy and we talked about uh, Epiphanius. So tonight we're going to be moving to uh, chapter 3. We'll read verse 1 through, like I said, I believe I told them 16 or 17. No, 16, 1 through 16. And then we will begin then our discussion about that. Um, there appear to be having some difficulty back there with the scriptures, so I'm just going to read them. So at home and in the sanctuary, let's just get our Bibles and let's begin. All right, we're at Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count, myself, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Okay, I, I, I have a, a comment I want to make. I always, you know, do this about this time. But, of course, what I try to do on an ongoing basis is, you know, to think about because uh, I told you I kind of keep that in my mind, you know, the idea of when you actually die, you know, and what that's like. Because we know it's going to happen, right? Everybody knows at some point it's going to happen. And if you get to live the longest life, you know, the longest life in the Bible, I think was Methuselah. He lived 900 something years. But he still died, right? So we understand that for the most part, most people are not going to be living that long. And so if we, even if we live 100, 120 years, we eventually die. And so what I'm really, you know, this is becoming more and more my passion, so I know it's God is pushing this on me to push on, on out, and that is that people really need to focus on this. I mean, I know people are young, and I get it. Nobody wants to think about dying. But we want to think about it not so much from the standpoint of dying, but in the standpoint of what's going to happen. Not so much even heaven or hell, because we would like to hope that the hell part was resolved. Now, if that's not resolved, then that's, that's a whole other set of issues that need to be dealt with. But I'm thinking now more about the, um, the other side of it from the standpoint of the gain and the reward that we're looking to receive from God when we, we actually die. Um, I have received, say, since um, my last semester where I was giving out, I, I've made some comments about the class I was teaching and some things that were going on. Well, I've had two specific things that occurred at it just to me, it reminds me of this concept I'm talking about. One person is um, maybe a very short percentage away from being able to graduate. So if their grades don't change somehow, they're not going to have the 2.0 average they need to graduate. So, you know, somebody contacted me, they did, and could I look at the test again and all that? And I, I don't mind looking at the test again, but the test is what it is, and there's nothing I can do to change it. I mean, you know, other than just... I'd have to add points to it, right? And, and I'm just not going to do that. I've done everything I was supposed to do. I've added whatever I thought I should. If I gave extra, I already gave that. And here's my grade, right? And I get it. I understand that the person is, you know, frustrated and upset. Doesn't have anything to do with me. Uh, but that frustration and them being upset has a lot more to do with the fact that they're not going to graduate. So can you imagine spending three years in school and all these classes, and then you're at a point where... You can't go anywhere yet. Um, so all the people, your parents or anybody else who's expecting you to graduate, um, it's not happening right now. And, and you had an expectation on that day. Uh, it's not happening. 
Then I had another person, you know, they send me, you know, professor, can you take a look at my test? I'm, I'm this much away from honors, you know. So if they get just another certain percentage, they could get honors or something like that. Um, and I had to ref basically come back and say, look, I, nothing I can do about that. I mean, I can't give you, you know, they asked me about an extra assignment or something. I'm like, I can't give you an assignment after the class is over, you know, to give you more points on a grade you already have. It's nothing I can do about it. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like to see you go across there with your honors, but can't help you. Well, I just think this is what I'm talking about. You know, people are going to die, and it's not going to be until then that they're going to realize when all this stuff starts happening and it's real, that it's like, ooh, it's over. And, and see, so everything that I'm always doing right now, I find myself saying things like, you know, you don't get to do this again. Okay, so I don't get to do this again, right? So now I'm at, you know, I'll be 62 this year. So I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not going to get to do this again. You know, you got to keep taking care of yourself. Make sure you got yourself together because you don't get to do this again. You know, so, so it's important each step of life as we're going because eventually we lay down and then the reality is going to hit of the next level of where we are with God. And this is why I'm saying this is because of where we are tonight where Paul is. Paul basically starts off in chapter 3 when he starts off saying, finally, so here we are now, he's introducing us to his final thoughts. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He says, the right the same thing to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. So, so I want you to think about this. Paul says, look, because sometimes, you know, people may come to church and they're like, oh, God, here go pastor again. You know, he's talking about the same thing again. Why he keep talking about that? because it was the same reason I kept saying that to my class. You all need to make sure that you have your stuff together because I'm not changing grades. You know, I don't know how many times I said that. Um, and then when it hit, and now you have your final and you got your results, why are you contacting me? I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not gonna be rude to you. And I'm willing to look again, but I already told you what's gonna happen. I'm not changing this. I'm not doing that. I've done everything I can do. All right, so if a person, let's say, had a grade that might not have been that great, I already made up my mind, okay? I'm going to go ahead and add extra points maybe to give certain grades a certain brushing off, right? Well, I've already done that. So if it turns out if you contact me and I've already brushed you off, I'm not about to brush you some more. So God is already doing everything he can to brush us off and say, look, I need you to focus on what's important. You're going to die, whether today, next week, next year, next 20 years, next 50, next 100. But you will do this. And when you die, you won't be dead. And it's locked in then. There's no crying no talking about it, no plead Jesus, I ain't that. So now is the time. Now is the time to focus, to do what you must do. So Paul is saying, look, to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. Paul said, don't bother me to write this over again, but for you it's safe. Because he was concerned that they were getting off track by these people who were coming in with all these different doctrines and all these different things that were taking their focus off of the simplicity that was in Christ. 
and so that they could focus on what was going on because the depths of Christ, God is so deep that you ain't got time to be swimming in no other water. You, you really just don't. Most people, I think, because what they do is they spend so much time just brushing over the word of God that they never allow themselves time for the Holy Spirit to grow them in grace to receive the next level of stuff he want to talk about or to take you down a little bit deeper because you could be reading a scripture that you've been reading all your life and you never saw something. And all of a sudden, pow, because it's like it's your time now to receive this and for you to see where God is going with this in your life. So there's so much in here. Think about God. Just think about God now. We're talking about God. 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 We're talking about God, who created everything, God, who knows everything, God, who's omniscient, God. The God who created the human body that we can't even count how many cells are even in it, the human body that is so intricate and even the eye, they say every piece of the human body is so intricate, it's amazing when you look at it. It has to be designed. God did that, right? Okay, so this is the God we're talking about, and you have a book about God. This is just a book about God, and he tries to use it because this is all he wants you to know right now about him. Just work with this. And how dare some people, one, they don't even pick it up. Two, they think they know about God without knowing anything about this. And then when they look at this, they just brush over reading it. And then they, they, want, they want some other book to tell them about God. You know, it's one thing to expound on Scripture. In other words, you are, you're reading a book that's expounding on Scripture. In other words, here's, a, here's Scripture. We're expounding on Scripture. You don't need to hear no story about my life, about what I did, messed up, did, did oh, yeah, you too can survive and peace. You don't need that. You need Scripture. You need me to expound on Scripture and how it can relate to your life and empower you to get where you need to go. Now, maybe I can give you an example of what happened in my life or where I went wrong and where God turn me around by showing me something in scripture, but it's got to be scripture. Otherwise, it's all useless. So Paul said, look, I'm writing this to y'all. It's not grievous for me to write it again and say this one more time, but for y'all it's safe that I, if I overcorrect, it's safe, right? So then he goes into verse two, beware of dogs, comma, beware <laughs> Of evil workers, beware of the concision. All right, so let's look at this. He says, beware of dogs. The other night I had this dream, right? And, and when I woke up, immediately I knew what it was. I mean, sometimes, you know, you know when you sense the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about something because you know right away. But I had this dream. I was trying to talk to somebody. It didn't matter who it was. Couldn't recognize the face. But I was trying to talk to him about something that had to do with God. And it was a dog that was standing on his hind legs just jumping up. In front of me, right? That's all you did. So I couldn't see the person on the other side that I was trying to communicate the word to. When I woke up, first scripture came to me was this one. Beware of dogs. And the whole, that word, when the word is used, the word is talking about people. And typically that's what he was referring to. Not dogs that run the street. Dogs in the Bible were always, anytime you see dogs in the Bible, they're never the kind of dogs that you keep at your house, that you petting on, that you like, and all. these are not the dogs of the Bible. The dogs in the Bible are the ones that ate Jezebel's flesh and licked up her blood. They ran in packs, 
and they were scavengers. They were, they, 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 they were nasty. They were not considered uh, household trained pets. That's not the dogs of the Bible. And so anytime that people were used the term dog, it was understood to be a, a negative and derogatory term. So that's why Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? You see, so his whole point, you know, it's, it's an insult, right? So Paul is saying you got to beware. There are people who that's the way, that's what he sees them. They, they're like dogs. They're like, they're, they're scavengers. They're, 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 they're flesh eaters. They're blood drinkers and blood suckers. And they're not people you want to be involved with. You have to avoid them because if you don't, they're going to dis misdirect you, send you in the wrong direction, cut you off from what God is trying to do, stay focused on the scripture, and let the Holy Spirit lead your life. You've got to do that. Otherwise, you're going to get off. Then he, 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 so he adds all these together. Beware of dogs. Beware of, he said, evil workers. Beware of the concision. So all this was these groups of people who were going around trying to corrupt them to change the way that they had heard the gospel from Paul. You know, Paul made it clear, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that brings about. Now, you see it today. If you go watch Christian TV, you'll see somebody on there, you know, uh, teaching, you know, the Jewish um, traditions or something. Um, send us $50 and, and, uh, and we'll send you a, a prayer shawl and, and you know, a little, some, some little knots that you can, you know, count your prayers and you wear your shawl over your head like the Jews did when they was praying to God. This one has everything, the original high priest, you know, all this stuff. Put that stuff up. It ain't necessary. You don't need to put no shawl over your head unless you cold and you just won't cover up. But it's, it, it serves no benefit anymore. These things had a purpose back in the Old Testament. God, God was doing something that he was. Now, the idea of all these traditions, all these things that went with that, none of that matters anymore. All that matters is that cross and Jesus on it with you understanding that you too have to die to yourself and to the world. And if you do to the extent, that's why Jesus said, to the extent if you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. But if people got to pay attention to that and understand it and accept it as true. So he says, you got to be aware of all this. And then he goes into verse 3 to make them understand. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So in other words, Paul says, look, the Jews we know are, are making a lot to do about circumcision and they're the people of God. That's why think about today. We are the real Hebrews. Why? We don't care. God don't care. It doesn't matter if you're the original Hebrews or you Hebrew too. It doesn't matter. Paul says we, the church, we are the circumcision. We are those that now our new life has been what? Cut away. The old life has been cut away, and the new man has now come in Christ. So he says, in the past, Jews got circumcised. That was their sign in their flesh. The males that they had been circumcised, they were the children of God, etc. But Paul says now, no, we are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit. Remember what Jesus said? God is a spirit. And now, let me back up for a minute. Paul, Jesus made it clear that there was something to be said about having been Jewish. 
and Paul says it in Romans because Jesus said when he was talking to the woman at the well, if you remember, she said, why are you talking to me, basically, being a Samaritan and a woman? And Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. We know what we worship. You all don't know what you worship. We know what we worship. He says, but the time has come and the time is now when God seeks spiritual worshipers. He says, God is a spirit, and they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So now he says, God seeks such to worship. So Paul now says, we are those people. We are the circumcision. We worship God in the spirit, and we rejoice in Christ Jesus. In other words, we all have access to God through Jesus. And then he says, and now we have no confidence in our flesh at all. So in other words, and you only have to, only you know this, you know, you that are sitting here and you on, uh, online, whether or not you are relying on something other than Jesus. Now, how would you know that? Well, you cut away anything that we would consider our works that God would want us to do, right? Let's, let's cut that away for a minute. Think about it from this perspective. If you were to be honest with yourself, you got to be honest and go deep, deep, deep down and be really honest. When, if you were to die right now today, why should God let you in heaven? Now, if you have, and only you know this now, because a lot of times people will tell you stuff, but that's what they think you, you want to hear. Only you know this for yourself, and you really got to be honest with yourself. What do you think? Why do you think God should let you in heaven? If you have any, any thoughts at all that have anything to do with other than Jesus dying, you're off. Yeah, see, you got to know that. You have to know. God don't care about anything. There's nothing we can offer God at all. No works we've done, uh, no niceness about how we are. The average person ain't nice like we are. None of that. Absolutely nothing can get you in there. Nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. And you got to think of it this way. Nothing. And if you feel in any kind of way that you got something to offer God, then you need to go back until you realize you don't. You got to get on your knees and stay before God until finally you realize, man, God, I don't have nothing to offer you, nothing. I may be nicer than a lot of other people. I'm probably not as nice as the nicest people for sure. Um, I may do things for people that other people don't do, but I'm sure there's some things that other people do that I don't do. Uh, bottom line is none of this matters. You know, it doesn't matter. Okay, so we got to get that down. If that's where we are, then we are where Paul is talking about in verse 2, or verse 3. So we're not saying that good works and things that need to be done don't matter, because they do matter for our rewards and for the things that God wants us to do as his children now. In other words, we're living here, and as his children, when I said that on Sunday when I was talking about cultivating friendship, I wasn't trying to suggest that God is so much like us. Because it was, it's a very loose comparison, you know, when I'm talking about me. Because I'm not God. And there are things that I have to compromise on. You know, if you want to have friends, you're going to have to compromise on some of your stuff. Because some of your stuff just ain't right. You have to decide what you want to compromise on. My point was that God doesn't compromise on anything. Because he's perfect. He's God. And if you want him to be your friend, then you have to mold yourself to God. You know, you want to hang out with God, you got to mold with God. That's why he says, if you're a friend of the world, you're my enemy. 
So it's a very loose analogy to use ourselves, but I was using it because I thought at least we could relate to that. We all know what it's like to have friends or have people we don't want to be friends with or people we do want to be friends with and why. So we see God then uh, saying that Abraham was his friend and we see why. Because you see a lot of things that Abraham did that God don't do. You know, Abraham lied and he lied to get out of trouble because he was afraid. Well, the Bible tells us that God pities us like a father pities his children. All right, children do stuff they're not supposed to. You pat them on the head and you say, okay, we try to do better. But those children understand that they're wrong. And so you can be God's friend and have problems. That wasn't the issue. It's being God's friend and being a friend of the world, which is the proud, the arrogant, the this, the that, the other. You can't be God's friend because he ain't like that. That's why he says humble yourself and all that. So my, 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 the idea here then becomes that we can't have any confidence at all. So then what Paul does is he shifts to try and make his point um, more adequately, I think, and more precisely by trying to explain who he was to them as compared to the people who are coming in telling you this stuff. So in other words, like the people today, okay, who come on TV, like they have this rabbi that comes on there. And he, I forgot his name, he rabbi somebody. And he's a Christian, but, you know, everybody thinks it's so great that he's a Jewish rabbi Christian. And some kind of way he got so much more to teach us than just uh, some regular people, right? Because he's a Jewish rabbi Christian. Ooh, like that really gives him another level up. And that's the way they act. And it's like, because he understands the festivals, and he understands this, and he understands that. And it's like, so? And it's not because I don't understand them. I mean, I had a class, I mean, a diploma in Jewish Christian studies. But so? That's not the point. So Paul says, I want you to think about this. Think about Paul, because this is what he does. And Paul says that God, Jesus chose him so that all of us can look at him in the future to understand it. Look at who Paul was, we're about to see, and this is why we don't need to think about nobody. It don't matter who you are and what you are. This is what Paul says. Paul says in verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So Paul says Jesus really picked him because if anybody wanted to brag about the flesh, and their ability to get to heaven based on their flesh. Paul said, I'm the one. I'm it. I am the guy. He said, there ain't nobody like me. That's what he was trying to make his point here. Y'all confused out there. Whoever these people are that are coming to your churches and telling you about their Jewish traditions and telling you about whatever they're telling you, you are confused. Do not allow them to get in your head. If anybody should get in your head about the flesh, look at me. And then he lays out his credentials. So let's walk through them a little bit. Number five, or verse five. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. All right. Now, Paul says, look, let, let's, let me make it clear to you. First of all, as a Jewish boy, you have to be circumcised on the right day. The right day is the eighth day. Paul says, I was born a Jewish boy, and I was circumcised on the right day. My mom and them may show up early. My mom and them didn't show up late. 
I was circumcised on the day according to the Bible, the Word of God. First off, I'm a Jew. I'm God's chosen boy. Eighth day, I'm a circumcised baby. Okay, let's move on. He says, not only that, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You know how people brag about their names? I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm blah, blah, blah. He says, look, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And if you know anything about Benjamin, Benjamin was the youngest son of all them boys that was born. Remember the ones that sold Joseph into slavery? Benjamin was his brother, the youngest brother, the one that came from their mother. He and, he and him came from his mother. The others came from different wives. And Jacob, when he lost Joseph, he thought, he thought he was going to die in. He made it. But then when Joseph was in Egypt, he pulled a stunt on his brothers to get them and to get, bring their dad to Egypt. And what he basically did was when they were going back, he put the grain and a, a golden chalice and some other stuff inside Benjamin's knapsack so that when they left, he accused them of theft. And when they came back, he says, whoever's uh, case we find it in, he has to stay here with me and be my slave. And so the brothers agreed because they didn't think anybody had it. And they found it in Benjamin's uh, thing. And man, those boys almost died. And so I think it was Judah who stood up and basically said, look, make me your slave. Because if we go back and tell his dad, his dad is old, he's already lost one brother. If he loses this brother, it'll kill him. And that's when Joseph said, so you are willing to do that for your brother? And then they said yes. And that's basically when Joseph revealed to him who he was. But the Benjamin was like the most tender. He is considered the tribe, right? So, you know, it's kind of like in every profession. You have different um, people that do different practices and things. And different parts of practice are considered better than others and all that. Some are easier. But amongst the tribes, so he's saying, not only am I a Jew, I'm a Jew of Jews. In our, in, amongst the Jews, we the Jew-Jews. We really Jews. Yeah, we the Jews people want to be. You know what I'm saying? It's like you come in the room, and first you want to be a Jew. Then you get in the room with the Jews, you want to be in that family of Jews. That's the family I came out of. Not only am I eighth day, I'm from the right family too. Then he goes on and look at what he says. Not only that, but when it comes to the law, I was a Pharisee. If you know anything about the Pharisees, this is why Jesus spent so much time, people are always saying, Pharisees, Jesus would say, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he would talk about what it is that they were doing and how they were so righteous with the law, but they weren't doing it. They were hypocritical. Paul says he wasn't one of them kind of Pharisees. Paul really did do what the law was saying. He did it. He wasn't a hypocritical Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was doing it. Matter of fact, Paul was raised... And taught, if you had, you know, um, like you have a law school, Yale and Harvard and all that, Paul was taught in basically the Pharisee law school of all, uh, Pharisee school of all Pharisee schools, which was at Gamaliel's feet. His name was Gamaliel. And he was with the top Jewish teacher 
in Israel. So not only was he eighth day, right tribe, he was a Pharisee, but he was also trained by the best Pharisee there was in the best Pharisee school. Then he says this in verse 6, concerning zeal, you want to talk about somebody who was really zealous? Concerning zeal, I'm the guy. He says, persecuting the church, that's what he was doing. Paul was, Paul was there. He was pushing. He was doing anything he could to try and stamp out what he actually thought was blasphemy. He thought that these people were basically blaspheming God. They were coming up with this new way that actually was improper before God. And as a good, zealous Pharisee, it was his responsibility to stamp this out in the name of God. And that's what he went after and was doing. Matter of fact, that's what he was doing when Jesus shut him down on the way to Damascus. Then he says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul says, whatever righteousness you can find in the law, I am, in fact, blameless. The only other place that you even see um, a reference to that, I, I want to see if I can find it right quick, um, is when, hold on one second, when, you, when there's a discussion that's going on about Elizabeth, who is Mary's, um, I think she's like Mary's cousin, uh, I want to say. Um, and she's the mother of John. And when you, when you hear there, and you, they talk about her and her husband, they were barren. She was barren. And let me see, I'm going to look one more place. And she was barren. And the Bible says that her and her husband, uh, before the Lord, were blameless. And so this here, you see again, here we go. This is in Luke, in Luke chapter um, 1, looking at verse 5 and 6, um, this is what it says. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments, and ordinances of the Lord blameless. So that word blameless right there, the, 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 the mother and father of John the Baptist, who were basically, according to the Spirit of God, through the word, were walking blameless. Paul was walking in that same level of blamelessness that had God been looking for a perfect, i.e. man after the law, Paul would have been the guy, which makes sense. That's why God picked him. See, 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 God picked him because he was everything that a Jew should have been. But the problem was God wasn't doing that no more. And he now has to be able to show us how he's taking all of this that God would have said, yep, that's it, and throw it all away. Look at what he says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And that word dung means stuff. Yeah, that's the word. 
So in some interpretations of the Bible, they use the word garbage. But that's not what that word means. You know, dung is garbage, but I mean, that, that's toilet language, you know? So Paul's saying everything, all the stuff I just told you all, everything that qualifies me and out-qualifies me with these other guys that y'all are dealing with and all this craziness y'all got going on, I outrank them and outstrip them in every way. And I'm telling you, I have thrown it all away. I count it but dung that I may win Christ. Now, think about this man and everything that we know about him and all this, these letters he's writing, all these churches he's starting, and he's still talking about the need to what? Win Christ. The need to what? Look at verse um, 8. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. So he is still searching, pursuing, going after the depths of the knowledge of Jesus so that he might win Christ, he says. He's, Paul never says, I, I, I'm done. He doesn't say, I've arrived, until he gets to that place where a lot of people like to, you know, put it on their, uh, I always say that, on their tombstones and all that stuff. Um, but that's where we see Paul finally um, getting to a place where it appears that he's believes that he may have arrived. And this is in First Timothy, I mean, Second Timothy chapter four. Look at verse six through eight. Second um, Timothy chapter four. We're going to look at verse six through eight. This is what he says. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So in other words, Paul finally, when he's getting ready to be executed and beheaded, does he say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And so now... He, he, can, he confesses that he believes that a crown of righteousness is laid up for him. But back here, Paul is still pushing, saying that he might have knowledge of Christ and that he might win Christ. And then in verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So Paul is saying again, we, I, I need to get you all to fully understand. You have to put your confidence, your righteousness, anything that's going to get you to God in Jesus. And a lot of people say, oh, I did that. But, but it, 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 if, the, if everybody had just done it, Paul wouldn't keep talking about it. That's why he keeps coming back saying, it's safe for me to keep telling y'all this. Because if you get to relying on your own works and relying on yourself, sooner or later, God is going to have to tweak that and cause something to happen in your life as a setback to get you to see this ain't about you and your righteousness. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, what you think you're accomplishing, or what you think you're doing. You've gotten off focus, and he's going to do something because he's got to do that always to keep our focus on Christ. We're always giving Jesus the glory. If, he, if Jesus had not been the one to say, I'm going to go forward to the cross, I'm going to die, we had no hope. There was no hope. So everything, everything belongs to him. We should always be at Jesus' feet, hugging his knees. Mm -hmm. Even when we get ready to go somewhere, we should be hugging his knees to do whatever we're going to do and never let go of his knees. Because the reality is, 
that's the only way we get in. And everything that we're doing is only what? Works that come from our salvation. This is what James meant when he said, you know, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So in other words, the reason you know I have faith is because what I'm doing. But I'm not doing it in order to get anything. I'm doing it because I already have everything. Yeah, and that's, that's the idea, right? So Paul then says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So Paul says then that there is a, and so this is not a reason to go out and try to find things to hurt yourself, you know, so you can go suffer. There's enough suffering out there in the world. The devil bring enough along that we ain't got to worry about it. And if there's something that God needs, because in one place Peter said it, um, and I think that people fail to, to realize this, Peter said it in one place. He said uh, that if we need, if suffering, if we need be. You know, a lot of times people are always putting, you know, that they're suffering for God and suffering and all that stuff. Oh, here we go. All right, let, let, let me read this to you. Um, this is in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 14 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 through 19. This is what he says. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, I want you to focus on something that I hadn't planned on doing here, but I want to do it as I'm talking about this other verse. If you go back to verse 17 that we just read in 1 Peter 4, 17, look at what it says. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. So what is he talking about? We were talking about suffering. You see, this is, this is what I, the scriptures, I believe, teach if you are, are say, if you read them from front to back. God does not put needless and unnecessary suffering on people. Jesus, the Bible says, learned obedience by the things he suffered. But Jesus was always obedient. See? But the Bible says he learned obedience. Okay. Let's look at this. Okay. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, what you need to understand about this is, what is the Bible trying to tell us then? If Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered, what he was learning was not to obey, because he was obedient all the way to the end. He learned what it's like in the flesh to obey God through suffering. In other words, we have to suffer not because the devil just giving it to us and God going to help us out eventually. That's why he says don't suffer as an evildoer. Don't suffer as somebody who is 
a busybody in other people's matters. Don't suffer because you're a thief. Don't suffer because you're a murderer. He says, but if you suffer as a Christian, then take it well from God. He says, because judgment must begin at the house of God. Judgment. So suffering many times is tied directly to judgment, and we don't never want to accept that. We always run around. Why do good people suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? Look, first of all, ain't none of us righteous. So that's a misnomer to start. Why do good people suffer? That's a misnomer to start. Jesus already said, there's only one good, that's God. There are things on the inside of each of us that we don't even know about. Suffering brings them out. See, in, in order for God to judge us, chasten us, discipline us as children, and get us where he wants us to be, we have to suffer. Because if we don't, we will never learn obedience. See, the Bible says in one place... <laughs> David said, it wasn't until I was afflicted that I learned. Through affliction, I learned. You know, there's some things people do, and once they get beat up, they be like, I won't do that no more. Yeah, you sure won't. You know, there's some things, though, that you could do, and they really mess you up. You know, I mean, if you um, do some things, you could just mess yourself up. I mean, if you think about, uh, like, ladders. You have a ladder, and on the ladder, there are instructions. They tell you, don't step on the top step. People do it all the time. You know, don't step, but people just like, oh, I'll be able to do it, I'll be able to do it. But they tell you, don't step on the top step. You may not, you may lose your balance. Falling could result in death and, and injury. They tell you all that. And every year, people are falling off ladders, dying, injuring themselves. Why? They don't follow instructions on the ladder. It ain't like the ladder just said, hmm, yeah, I'm going to get you today. Mm -mm. It's something they didn't do. And when they fall and hurt themselves, that suffering teaches them something about that ladder, but at the same time, it could be in a way that you injure yourself that you can't ever get back on it like that anyway. God's not trying to do that. But the Bible makes it clear. That's why when we talk about our communion scriptures, we say we get what? Strength, health, long life. The Bible says that if we don't judge ourselves, who will? God. And how does he do it? Weakness, sickness, early death. So Paul then says, I, 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 I want to be conformable. In other words, let's go back and look again. So Paul wasn't just talking about useless suffering. Oh, I just won't suffer for Christ. He says that I may know him. I'm trying to know him and the power that's in his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Then he goes into the next verse 12, not as though I had already attained. See, he's, at this point, Paul's still saying, I, I don't think I'm there yet. You know, there are things that I have to go through. Things. See, a lot of the suffering that Paul is going through, Jesus even said it. Jesus said this when he was talking about, and, and I think this was all tied to why he allowed Paul uh, to do some of the things he did uh, for as long as he let him do them, because it was necessary that he would be able to do what he had to do with Paul uh, when the time came. Um, let me see if I can find this right quick. Um, here we go. I, I, I want to, um, if, if you all will back there, go to Acts chapter 9. Go to Acts chapter 9, 
and let's look at verse 11 through 16. Acts chapter 9, verse 11 through 16. Now, this is after uh, God, the Holy Spirit, Paul, and the Lord all meet, and the Lord knocks him off of his horse. He's blind. He sent him somewhere, and then the Lord shows up to Ananias and begins to speak to him while Ananias is praying. And it says this in verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, being Ananias, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered the Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. See? So Paul had put, Paul was there when Stephen got stoned. Paul was there consenting to the death of other Christians. Paul was there dragging people into jail. Paul was there. He said he made Christians blaspheme. He did all kind of stuff. And, and Jesus let him do all of that first, and then he pulled him out. Well, when he pulled him out, Paul had, couldn't say nothing. All the suffering he had to go through and everything he had to do, he couldn't say nothing. What was he going to say? Why am I going through this? Oh, the same reason Stephen got stoned. The same reason you were persecuting all them people, the same reason you were making people blaspheme, all that suffering you caused is coming back at you right now, but you're going to have to bear it for my name right now because I'm going to need you to keep pushing. And so it's tied to something. you got to realize everything going on in your life, if we're going to believe the scriptures, remember we went to Psalm 91 that night and we read it, how can God declare to us that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty? I'll say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Okay. How can, he, how can he tell us that? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Oh, how can he say that? Either it's true or it's not. Well, it's true. So in order for it to manifest itself, we have to bring ourselves in conformity to God's image. So some of us, not everybody, that's why he says in one place, Peter said, if need be, if need be. Everybody don't need to suffer like some other people do. Some people have stuff so deep in their psyche and how they deal with people, what they think about people, what they think about stuff. They get saved and they have not carved that away. God not letting them come to heaven like that. So he's constantly sometimes allowing certain pressure and suffering into their life to get them to see it so that it'll break them. That's why the Bible says you'd rather be broken than crushed. Yeah, you know, let the Lord break it and crush you. You don't want to get crushed. You want to fall on the rock and break. You don't want the rock to fall on you and crush you. So the idea is God Help me to go through these things and recognize why am I going through this suffering right now? What is it that you're trying to pull or draw out of me? And once he draws it out, he's done. God ain't trying to have you doing that forever. I mean, the point is, he's finished. Once he rings it out, the towel dry, ain't no, he ain't going to keep wringing it now, okay? Now, we may feel like we wrung out, but the key that you know you're not wrung out is you're still getting wrung. Yeah, you say to God, look, God, 
I trust you. The devil don't have nothing over God's people. The Bible says he has no authority over us at all. Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth been given to me, my people, I run my people. The devil don't run my people. And if the devil running you, it's because I'm letting him run you, and I'm letting him run you for a reason, and you need to figure out what that reason is so he can stop running you. That's the issue. That's the way we got to do it. And we got to come at God giving Jesus always the complete authority over everything in heaven and earth because that's what he has. Because to sit there and say, man, the devil busy. Oh, he just a running me. Lord, help me. And the Lord like, mm, well, he can't run you if I don't let him run you. And so you really would be better to come and say, Lord, why is the devil running me? What is it that's causing this in my life? And trust me, he'll point it out to you. Sometimes some things go a little bit deeper. We, you know, but God going to get to him. He got plenty of time. He got all the way to the time we check out of here to get us where he wants us at. And we would rather do like Paul says. He says, I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He said, even though I don't say I'm apprehended, but look at what he says in verse 13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, look, y'all got to do this. This is what I'm doing. I was, yes, I was there when Timothy, I mean, when uh, Stephen got stoned. Yes, I did a whole lot of stuff, but this the one thing I do. All that stuff back there, I have to forget it. You know, I can't keep searching for why am I suffering. It's better to search for the answer to God, get me to where I need to be. And typically when I finally say, God, I, I, I acknowledge that this is, I don't believe this is how you, know. I don't believe you want me to live like this. I believe the blessings in the word are true and they're real. And I believe that I'm here for a purpose and a reason. Help me to understand what is going on with me. Well, as you do that, God don't have to go back and say, well, when you was 10, you did such and such and such and such, and that's been in your mind ever since. He don't have to do that because what's happening is you, as you pursue God and keep saying, God, I, I want, you recognize it's about you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You stop saying, why are they treating me this way, right? You stop pointing at them and you say, you know what? I don't know what it is. But it's something about me, God, that I need to work on. I need you to help me change me. And as you do that, then it'll start changing because you recognize it's you. So he don't have to sit you down on a couch and start taking you through all of your history and then say, oh, see, remember when fifth grade, remember when that boy pulled that chair from under you and you fell down? That's when you swore from then on. You were never going to let nobody do you like that. You would never trust anybody ever again. And not, so he ain't going to take you back on the couch to the drawing the seat in fifth grade. That's not the issue. The issue is getting me to a place where I recognize everything going on in my life is under total control of God. I acknowledge that. There's nothing I can do to get into heaven. I acknowledge that. I recognize that my suffering is leading me to obedience, whatever that means, whatever it ought to look like. And so, God, I'm willing to, re to, to relinquish my own thoughts about trying to escape all the time my suffering and try to understand in it what is it are you trying to show me? What is it about me that you're trying to show me? Not what you're trying to show me about the world. What are you trying to show me about me? And when you get and keep pushing in that direction, all of a sudden, 
Even the suffering, if it's still there, the thing that's causing you to suffer, no longer does it feel the same anymore. Yeah, it doesn't feel, because it takes on a different purpose. And now you understand it. And as you begin to understand it, you start coming out of it. It's like clouds, you know, your plane flying through clouds. And eventually you come out on the other side, and now you see the daylight, and now you're moving, and you go on to what it is that God's calling you to. So Paul says, I forget that stuff, and I have a mark that I'm shooting for. See, it's kind of like if you're in school and you get a bad paper. Okay, fine. Well, you can't keep thinking about that. You got to put it behind you and do what? What's the mark? You're trying to get an A? Fine. Focus on your A. Focus on what you got to do. Stop saying, well, you know, at this point, ain't no way I'm going to be able to get an A. Um, you, you don't know what might happen. I mean, what could happen? Maybe the teacher may say, you know what? I don't know why, but I've had a change of heart. I'm going to throw out your lowest grade. You ever had them do that? Sometimes they'll do that. The next thing you know, the lowest grade that you thought was going to beat you down, it's gone. So what you got to do, though, is focus. And that's what Paul says. I got one mission. I'm focusing on Jesus. I'm trying to get to heaven and to conform to his image. So I forget what's behind me, where I failed, where I faltered, and, and, and focus on his righteousness and put that as my, my target. And he says then in verse 15, he says, let us therefore as many as be mature, that's what the word perfect means, be thus minded. In other words, put, let this be your mind. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God's going to reveal that to you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same things. So he's saying, I, I need you all now to focus and I need you to get your mind wrapped around what I just said in terms of avoiding all the foolishness, Avoiding all the people who got these great answers to God and how to get to him and all this stuff that's really based on worldly philosophy and the newest uh, or whatever inventions they didn't come up with. Get out of your flesh. Stop focusing on the fact that you can attain your own righteousness or any of that. You can't do anything. Try to conform yourself to the image of Christ by allowing the sufferings that come into your life to train you, to show you, to move you in the right direction. Forget about the things that you've suffered and that are behind, keep focusing on Jesus, make that the mark, and let that be your mind. And if your mind is on anything else other than that, in any other area of your life, Paul says God's going to show that to you too. In every particular area and in any way, he's going to show it to you. And then he says, I want you to mind that and walk according to that. He says, and if you do that, it'll keep you on track. And we're going to pick up here next week uh, with verse 17, where he begins then to talk about how we have to mark those uh, who are not walking this way. In other words, we got to be able to see this in our lives and know who these people are so we can avoid them and we can attain the righteousness of Christ and the mark that God wants us to attain. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get ready to close tonight.